Happy Monday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the probably one of the greatest space history movies ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry. I'm the program manager over at the EAA Aviation Museum. And we are, we really have the one of the best guests. I can't imagine having a better guest. We had Fred Hayes on, but... Uh, we have uh, the first man to actually uh, drive a Saturn V to the moon. Uh, really, this is an honor to have uh, Colonel Frank Borman. Colonel, thank you so much for being on our show. You're very welcome. Uh, this is uh, just a, a, wonder, a wonderful time. Uh, we're talking about uh, one of the key moments of, of this film uh, where uh, the, the cryo tanks are stirred and, uh, and all hell breaks loose. I know that uh, as, part of, uh, as part of the NASA uh, delegations of different astronauts uh, to different formations in the, uh, the development of Saturn V, the Apollo Saturn V, you were in charge of the uh, command module and service modules out, out in Downey with uh, with overseeing that, is that correct? Well, I was in charge of uh, implementing, or helping to implement the changes that were decided in Houston by the George Lowe's configuration control. But they'd send the changes out to us, and then we'd disseminate them to North American and then work that way. And so I was really sort of a uh, implementer rather than being in charge of anything. Okay, so so you would you would check on how, how things were going with say like spacecraft 102, which was uh, Wally Shiraz's right. machine, right. and your your own 103. Which would uh, which would be Apollo eight? Well, see, originally Apollo one hundred three was McDivitt's. Oh, okay. Where ours was one hundred four. Then when they changed missions, we we took much to uh, to McDivitt and Scott's uh, dismay. We took Apollo three. <laughs> <laughs> now, were, were they? Uh, I, I know that um, that Wally ship was kind of a. It was mostly block two, but it still had some block one elements. Is that correct? No, it was block two. It was completely yeah. block two. Okay. It was block two and. Wally was concerned, and uh, they were all concerned about. It. But uh, as I understand it, it was uh, when one when a one o two got to the Cape, it was the, the cleanest spacecraft that ever got there. So uh, the, the people at North America, under new management and the NASA team, helped. They, they did a great job. Now, one of the things in the, in this movie that uh, that we've watched is uh, the concentration between before and after the fire. I mean, I think it it redefined NASA as a as a group. And you were you were elemental in in being being a part of that of that team that changed uh, from block one to block two could you describe a little bit of that what what the aftermath well the uh the, the major change that was made was putting george Lowe in charge of the apollo program uh, if i had to talk about one individual that made a difference it was george Lowe. of course he had great support chris craft who's still the only one still alive it's a giant we would have never got to the moon and in the 60s had it not been for Chris Kraft. But George Lowe, and I think Chris would agree with this too, was the, the element that made a difference. And you know, when you get right down to massive in, endeavors, it always, it always evolves to one person, finally, that makes it happen. And uh, you know, I, re, I, I was reading about George uh, just recently, and he, he said in this configuration control board, we had a lot of give and take, and so he said, but I never took a poll. I made the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, yeah. 
There's it, a great article out right now in uh, Air and Space magazine. That's where I about, read that. Yeah, 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 it's a great magazine. Yeah, article. yeah, yeah. It 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 really. I mean, one of the big triumphs of NASA is the triumph of organization. Exactly. That, that planning. Uh, I mean, they invented the PERT chart and and everything that that derived from it. I mean, the idea of critical paths and stuff, rather than doing things willy nilly. Knowing what you were going to do before you did it was such a key to success, and and it seems like a simple thing, but it's just you know it was it was revolutionary. Well, one of the other things about NASA was they they had they listened to the people who had the knowledge. I remember one th my first visit to Downey, North America, long before the fire, I I was in a, their engineering simulator. I pulled back on the flight controller, and the nose went down. I reversed it, and the nose came up. And so I called the engineer over and said, hey, you got the polarity mixed up here. It doesn't work. And he said, oh, no. Our human factors people are determined this is the way you're going to fly it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to fly the target. So when you pull back on the stick, the, the target goes up, uh, even though your nose goes down. He said, we found out that human-wise, that's a much better way to do it. And I said, look, <laughs> I've been flying airplanes. The people flying have been flying airplanes for a long time, refueling, flying for me. That's not the way we fly it. And he said, well, that's the way you're going to fly this. So I, I controlled myself and went over to the phone, called the, the Apollo program office, and I said, this blank, blank, blank won't work. And uh, later that day, it got reversed. That, that was The people that had the knowledge made the decision. There weren't committees. The, uh, the flight plan for Apollo 8 was figured out in a four-hour period on the, in August from the one in the afternoon till five in the afternoon because Chris Kraft was in charge and he made the decision. It was a, it was a wonderful place to work. Wow. I, I, if, if only things were like that nowadays. I mean, we've, we've all been through situations I, where there's a lot of paralysis on getting things done. Well, I, I really believe that, and I, you know, I don't have any knowledge, but, but I, I, I think of the modern organization, you'd probably have committees and this and that and the other thing. We didn't have that then. You had guys that know what they were doing, and, and then you had bosses that knew as much as they did, and they, it was wonderful. Wow. And we, the other thing, we had an overriding mission, beat the Russians to the moon. And that was the, that was the cinch point, beat the Russians to the moon. Yeah, I, I think that kind of disappears as, as history goes by. People, people forget about what was going on. This was, yeah. this was the Cold War at its coldest. Yeah. And there was a reason that we had giant flags and the words United States written on the side of our spaceships. It was <laughs> exactly. making the point, who's getting there? And, That's right. Uh, and, and, and being there. And, 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 and we, you know, we started from pretty far behind. Yeah. 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 So it, yeah. Was a, it was a remarkable period in, in history. Yeah, and you know, as as a side effect of all that competition, is we we succeeded. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, thank goodness for the competition. Yeah. Well, I like uh, um, we talked. We had to talk with Mark Harmon, and Mark uh, mentioned that uh, he spent time with Wally Shira when he was preparing for From the Earth to the Moon. And he says, you know, Wally was in line to become a high-ranking position in in the Navy, and he said, I had to ask. I said, Wally, what made you? What made you give that all up and go to NASA, which was relatively new? And uh, Wally said, do you want to know the real answer? And he said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, Sputnik pissed me off. <laughs> and uh, so he said that was, you know, that's what his driving motivation was to join NASA. I, I didn't know that, but I felt the same way. Yeah. 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 It, it must have been uh, now, during August of, of 68 when you were being presented 
with the uh, the C prime mission to take, to take Apollo 8 straight you know up to the moon and do 10 orbits. That was right about the time that the Soviets were working on their N1, and I, I think that the CIA or somebody had given pictures to NASA of of what how close they were on this. Yeah, that's right. When when Slayton called me back to ask if I wanted to uh, to change missions and then take Apollo 8 to the moon. He said that they had just gotten information from the CIA that the Russians were planning a circum, circumlunar flight by the end of the year, and then that's that's really what that was one of the the uh, linchpins for Apollo eight. Yeah, and the idea of going from August of just thinking about that to uh, Christmas time, you're you're up on the backside of the moon. That's <laughs> yeah. quite a quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it was. Uh, listen, it was a great organization. Yeah, uh, well, let's get into a little, little bit the uh, of the of the piloting side of this. You've piloted both uh, uh, Gemini Gemini seven. And uh, you were the first man to pilot uh, a 365-foot uh, uh, Saturn V. What what was it like with your hand on the abort handle as you were as the ignition sequence started? How how were you feeling? Well, I you know I had been involved in the crew safety uh, uh, systems for a Saturn V, and I was common. I, I had been to spent a lot of time in Huntsville dealing with the people uh, over there, and, and I was. Always impressed with Dr. Von Braun and his uh, and his team. I, for instance, one of the uh, one of the things that we had to do was to uh, determine when a human being couldn't accurately abort this the mission. What kind of a failure? And uh, the uh, the Saturn V team had determined that if you lost two engines on the same sign, you'd get a yawing moment that was so uh, radically quick that you, the human being couldn't do it. So we were going to do that automatically. Okay, so you're going to put in a gyro. Well, you put in the gyro, but what if the gyro fails? <laughs> then you've got, uh, a, you know, yeah. a terrible deal. You go automatically and you didn't need to. Well, then let's put in two gyros. Okay, which one are you going to believe? <laughs> so the solution was to put in three gyros and vote them. If two gyros said you'd had a failure, you went. That was that kind of detailed engineering that went on in that in that launch vehicle. Wow. It must have been quite a, a relief every time you went through like a Mode 1 Bravo to Charlie and then going through the modes, you think you don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, well, I forgot one, but after after the uh, certain, you were clear of the tower, the the the, the, sail, the failure modes were all that could be handled by, by humans, and that's yeah. when we did it. But. You know, just, uh, you know, what was liftoff like in the Saturn V? Well, the thing that I remember most about the Saturn V, you got to remember it was 50 years ago, but was uh, the noise. It was rough, but I didn't feel it was that that bad. But it was it was the the loudest noise I've ever heard. And that was uh, it really effectively canned communications, but even between crew members. Wow. So when you watch uh, you know these movies, uh, and it sounds like they're sort of yelling on the radio, you guys kind of were yelling a little bit on the radio to get your voice over the rocket. I, I, you know, I, I think that too. I, I, I've listened to the launch sequence, and I know, I remember yelling, "The clock is running!" But uh, it was, it was noisy. <laughs> I also love your uh, your comment um, uh, you had made about when you were uh, prepping to launch, and you looked out and you saw uh, seagulls. <laughs> there was a seagull circling over us, and I couldn't help thinking that. When the thing lit off, there's going to be a little surprise burner. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did it compare to uh, the launch on a, on a Gemini? Uh, uh, well, the Gemini the was much faster, higher G. It was a more robust uh, uh, vehicle from the standpoint of uh, of 
acceleration than the Saturn V. Saturn V was kind of an old man's vehicle. I think the maximum G was about six Gs. And, uh, you know, you just have to think about that. It's still the most powerful machine ever made. Every time it flew with men on it, it was successful. And at that stage in, in, in missile development, that was quite a remark, a remarkable history. Yeah, I know. It's it, it astonishing. Uh, I, I wonder, with, uh, with the way the Gemini program worked, you had 20 men going up in 20 months, uh, and then the program was done. Was there enough time to take the lessons of Gemini and put them into Apollo? I mean, or was it just... No, that was there was enough time, but unfortunately, that was one of the reasons that uh, the we had Apollo fire. The uh, a lot of the lessons uh, from the Gemini program were not accepted by the Apollo management at that point. They, you know, the attitude was, "Well, we know better, or we're doing this." We're, it's, uh, and I, I think that was one of the things that ended when George Lowe took over the program. Pick, picking up on the lessons. Yeah. Uh, I know that you had worked, w when you did Gemini 7, the, the initial part of the flight, after uh, your uh, second stage uh, detached, you did some rendezvous maneuvers with, with it as best you could, but you didn't want to waste the fuel, I understand. But that was after learning from uh, uh, McDivitt and White's uh, Gemini 4, who had problems maintaining a, a proper station keeping. Yeah, that's right. They, 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 we were fortunate enough to understand a little bit more about uh, about uh, being able to station keep with it. And one of the key things uh, from the standpoint of just being able to do it, line of flight was to stay as close as you could to it. <laughs> that was the key to it. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, I, I, would, I would think that debriefs helped a lot. Did you have a lot of interactions with previous, like, like after uh, Wally came down with Seven, did you have a lot of debrief <laughs> sessions with him? On oh, we did, we did have a lot of debrief. Of course, NASA did too. But uh, basically, Seven was uh, error free. And so it was, it, there were no gotchas on Apollo 7. The guys did a wonderful job. And yeah. they, not just the crew, but the, the ground people, too. Did, did you ever have, uh, did you work with uh, Gunther Wendt at all? Yeah, Gunther Wendt was the, uh, was the, uh, the person on the, that you finally put you, were responsible in the white room to putting you in there. And, and Gunther Wendt I'm, it was, did a wonderful job, but it was sort of a, he was more of a gotcha guy than I, uh, you know. The, the, I wasn't into games at that time, yeah. but I, I respected him because he was very competent. But, uh, you know, Gunner Went was Gunner Went, and he did a good job, good luck. <laughs> As, uh, you know, in, in talking about uh, Apollo 13, uh, this would have been April of 1970. You were, you were starting to transition out of NASA, but did you have any involvement with, with the mission at all? I had a very important involvement with Apollo 13. Uh, I got a call from Dr. Gilruth because I had been the liaison with the uh, White House for Apollo 11. And he said, look, we got a lot of problems down here. And we just heard that uh, Vice President Agnew is planning to come down here and, uh, and uh, take charge of the, can you stop that? And so I called Bob Haldeman, who was uh, Nixon's uh, assistant in the White House. I explained the situation to him, and as I understand it, Agnew was about to take off from somewhere to, in Iowa to come to Houston, and they turned him around and sent him back to you. <laughs> so he, I, probably not his, I was not probably his favorite person. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, well, this has been a, a quite an insight, I think, on, get, on getting the, 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 the state of mind in 1970. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But uh, uh, 
uh, Frank, we'll have you on a little bit later on this week. So uh, uh, let's come, let's come back uh, a little bit later on there. Uh, for folks listening on the show, you're always uh, able to get previous episodes of us on uh, our big website, Apollo13minute.com. You can find us on Twitter at Apollo13minute or on uh, Facebook at uh, Apollo13mission control. So uh, join us here tomorrow, and we'll talk a little bit more about things going wrong on Apollo 13. Looks like we're coming up on uh, Lost Signal in about 30 minutes, uh, 30 seconds. We'll, we'll see you next time on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.